The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let me pray. Gracious God, what we most need in life is you. And today and tomorrow, this season, we think about and we reflect on how you came, broke into your creation, came to this world to make a relationship with us, and we thank you for that. And we still need to relate to you day after day after day. And so I pray, Lord, meet us, reveal yourself to us, make yourself known in your scriptures, move here this morning. Lord, each of us are coming from different places. We have different needs and different thoughts and different distractions and different hopes. Would you meet each person here this morning with yourself? Come and be present here, I pray, Lord. Give power to your word. Gain glory for your name. Amen. Day upon day, week after week, for months, he traversed the land of Israel from the north and down to the south and then back again to the north, back and forth in the cities, towns, the mountains, on the shores of lakes and rivers, everywhere. Jesus traveled with his disciples healing every affliction and every disease, binding up the physical wounds of the people. And all along in the synagogues, he preached, proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, good news that if trusted would be the balm to bind up their spiritual wounds as well. This was his habit all the time. Because everywhere he went, everywhere he went, He saw crowds and had compassion on them. They looked so like sheep, downcast, harassed, and helpless and in need. Even the the wealthy and the powerful and the educated, they were all vulnerable, afflicted, malnourished in his eyes. They had need, so in need of a good shepherd to take charge of them and lead them to rest rest in here, to nourish them and care for them and defend them and protect them. Where would they ever find such a shepherd? The shepherd, the shepherd, the one long foretold, the one prophesied in the Old Testament who was coming, the one who would be sent of God would come and would be all that their hearts ever needed. Where would they find him? Where do you find that kind of shepherd? the one that you need to be all that your heart needs, your leader, your guide, your caretaker. That's a significant issue before us as we wander back and forth through life. Lost, confused, uncertain about things, struggling, sometimes quite happily, in fact. Deceived into thinking that things are going just fine, thank you. 
And other times, though, well acquainted with suffering. We wander through this life, and we are sheep in need of a shepherd. Where are you going to find one? Today's Christmas Eve. The day before Christmas. And we're going to talk about a shepherd this morning. Finding a shepherd. To do that, we're going to leave our, our series in the book of John, where we've been for the last several months, and turn instead to a text that has a little more uh, particular connection to Christmas, an Old Testament text in the prophet Micah. So we'll be leaving John 6 this morning and looking in the Old Testament. Now, if I'd planned all this out a little better and started the John series two weeks earlier, this would be a very smooth transition. Because in John chapter 7, which we'll get to in January, our text from this morning is mentioned. We're in John 6, and in John 7, the people, the people there, the, the Israelites there, are, are discussing with one another. They're listening to Jesus teach, and they're talking about it, and they conclude, this guy just has to be the Christ. I mean, listen to what he says. Listen to how he says it. Look at how he heals the wounds of his people. Look at how he confronts evil. I mean, what else are we looking for? This has to be him. But others said, no. I mean, granted, there's a lot of amazing stuff going on here, but we all know, and here's an allusion to Micah 5, we all know that the scripture has said that the Christ must come from Bethlehem, and this guy's from Galilee. Can't be. So there's that discussion, that dilemma, that argument going on in John chapter 7. We'll see that in January. But of course, it's not really a problem. It's another bit of irony in the book of John because we all know that he is from Bethlehem. The discussion is actually not a discussion. They just don't realize it. We'll come to that later. But for now, let's turn to the passage that they are referring to there. It's in Micah 5. Micah is an Old Testament prophet. This is a passage that has some significant things in it about this coming Messiah, this coming shepherd, this leader, this ruler, given there so that we can identify him and so that we can be helped to draw ourselves to him, to be wooed by him, if you will. Micah is a minor prophet, which means not that he's less significant, but that he's, his book is shorter. So it's near the end of the Old Testament. If you're going to turn there, it's probably about 20 or 25 pages before the very end. While you're turning there, a brief history about Micah. He's a prophet, and he's prophesying in Jerusalem in the same period that Isaiah is ministering. That's about 750 to 700 B.C., and he's in Jerusalem, which is in Judah in the south of Israel. You'll recall that at this time, Israel was divided in half with the ten, there I am again, with the ten northern tribes and then the, the southern tribes of Judah, primarily. And at this period, in this period of time, Judah is kind of on the way down. Things are not as bad as they're going to get. There are some bright spots in this period, but overall they are in decline morally. And so Micah's message to them from God has a mixture of judgment in it as, as punishment for their sin and hope. Hope for eventual change and renewal. And the book kind of goes back and forth. If you're there in Micah now, you'll notice in chapter 4, verses 6 to 8 are words of promise. There's a day that is coming in the end when God will assemble all the downcasts and all the outcasts and he will reign over them from Mount Zion forevermore. It'll be a glorious time. But... Verses 9 and 10. Before that happens, they're going to lose their king. They're going to suffer punishment at the hand of God for their evil. They're going to be as if they were a woman in labor, suffering pain. 
cast out into Babylon. It goes back and forth. Even chapter 5, our text this morning, begins on a low note and then quickly rises to be a very positive passage. So in Micah, let me read the text, chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Micah 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our places, in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Verse 1 is the transition from the hardship of judgment to the relief of deliverance that follows. In the short term, things are bad. Micah calls in the city of Jerusalem to muster together its troops. means to gather together your, your armed forces. But it's such a little group of people that they can't actually defend themselves. And things fall apart. You see there at the end of the verse that the enemies, they actually come into the city, they break in, and they take the judge of Israel, the king that is, and they strike him on the cheek with a rod. They don't kill him. dignity and they swat him with a rod. Cast down and humiliated. As the king goes, so is he. But, verse 2, another ruler will come forth. Unlike this one in Jerusalem who is weak because he is unfaithful to the Lord, this one will be different. See if I can put this right here. This one will be different. From Bethlehem Ephrathah, literally from the house of bread, from the fruitful place, this one is going to come forth. It's a tiny little place, so small, so insignificant, that when they, back in Joshua, when they, they numbered all of the cities in the area of Judah, they listed over 100 places, and Bethlehem was not listed. Entirely small and insignificant place. Yet from Bethlehem, God brought forth his unique, special, anointed ruler, David, the great king, the greatest of all kings who reigned over the land. And a time is coming when he again will bring forth another great ruler, this coming one who has origins of old. From Micah's perspective, that, that time is still in the future. That new ruler is coming. 
But that rule is to the future is tied to the past. His roots are, are back, 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 years upon years. He's Davidic, what he's trying to say. Not like these guys around here now. It's going to be a totally different type of king. He's referring back to what David was like, and he calls up into their mind, David was a king after God's heart, a good king. And one is coming who's going to be like him again. Until then, though, God's going to turn the people away, cast them out, and they will be as if in labor. Catching that image again from chapter 4. Now this idea of, of a woman in labor is an appropriate image for this kind of situation because a labor is hard, painful, yet it has an end. And usually, not always, but usually in life, it's a very positive end. A good thing comes at the end of it. Well, similarly, they're going to be cast out and they're going to be in pain, in labor, in exile, but there will be a positive end when this ruler comes. This ruler is birthed. And that analogy could just be referring to the temporary pain and the end that comes when they return, but you kind of wonder, it makes you wonder, when who's birthed? There's a ruler that's coming. Somebody's going to be born. It kind of creates some anticipation there. Now this, this verse right here, there's a lot of complicated stuff in it. I'm going to talk about it for just a minute. I don't want to get too far off path because I want to focus in on the ruler. That's our focus for this morning. Yet there are some interesting things here. Someone coming, and until then, the people are going to be cast out. But if you look at the text, when they come, they'll be brought back. There are two groups of people. They'll be brought back to this group called Israel. Two groups there. The Messiah's coming joins them back together. So a lot of discussion in there, which we can talk about later. A lot of discussion there related to end times things. I don't want to go too far into that, though. But just notice that there are two different groups of people, and Messiah joins them together. I want to leave that, though, and focus on the ruler, what we learn about him. It's the main focus. The prophet looks ahead, and he sees him. In verse 4, he shall stand and shepherd his flock. Verse 5 and 6, when enemies come against his people, represented by Assyria and Nimrod here, the generic bad guys of Micah's day, when they come, this Messiah will, will defend them, this ruler will, will keep them away, and more, more than just holding them at bay, he's going to lead the people in the offensive. You notice verse 6, he's going to go and shepherd Assyria with the sword. When they attack going to turn the tables and put down Assyria. So certainly, security and peace will reign for the people of God when all their enemies are eliminated. That's the point that he's making there. Everybody will be brought under the authority of this coming ruler, even the enemies like Assyria. That's the kind of ruler who's coming. Coming from Bethlehem to shepherd the people and care for them. Well, that's a nice thing. Good to see that. I guess if you're an Israelite 27 centuries ago, that's a nice thing. But what, what does that have to do with us? I mean, we live here in Utah much later. What does it have to do with us? Well, you and I need a shepherd. Not just the Israelites. You and I individually and we corporately 
need a shepherd. We are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's life here on earth. And I'm well aware that particularly given some of the, the average demographics of our church, where we live, the country that we live in, the area we live in, the area of the valley we live in, we have certain economics and certain educational factors that, that weigh into us. And it might be difficult for some of us here this morning to, to identify with the idea of being harassed and helpless. I kind of got it going on, you might think. I mean, if you're honest with yourself. I mean, business is good. I'm in good health. I'm pretty happy with my social network, and my family's doing just fine. The possibilities ahead of me all look good. I really would not have used the words harassed and helpless to describe myself. But nonetheless, you are like a sheep without a shepherd. We all are. When Jesus made that observation, traveling to and fro all throughout Israel, rest assured, he saw wealthy people, he saw educated people, he saw powerful, influential people, and he saw the hurting people in society. Everybody. And he did not say, it was inconceivable to him to say, some people are in need of me and some people are not. Everybody was a sheep without a shepherd in his eyes. You know what? Even those people who seem to be doing well, it is possible for sheep to eat too much, to overeat to their detriment. And it's possible that while they're grazing on all this grass right next to this nice, cool stream, that there's a wolf stalking them in the hills. They need a shepherd, always. Of course, there are some who wander off and fall down and break their leg. That's true, too. But all, the point is that all people in all stages of life... No matter if you're dwelling safe and secure or in the far-off land and in trouble, clearly. Everybody needs a shepherd, and it has always been God's intention to provide one for His people. Someone to lead them, to guide them, to protect them, care for them. That's where Micah 5 comes in for us. The passage here this morning holds out two things. It holds out a promise from God in the past to send this shepherd and then it has something in there that will help us identify with him, to connect with him, to come into his blessing. Those two things here. We're going to discuss both of those things. You put them together, I think they form this, this theme. I might put it in a sentence like this. We are to rejoice in and make much of the shepherd for our souls. We are to rejoice in and make much of the shepherd for our souls. Jesus is his name. We're going to be working towards. We start with the promise. The first main point. This passage is emphasizing a great hope. God has promised a great shepherd for his people, the Christ. From His goodness and from His mercy and from His love for His people, God has held out through the generations a promised shepherd. One who would come and would be the answer to all the problems that we have and the solution to all of our needs. He held Him out. So God's going to provide. This isn't the only passage where we see Him. We, we see Him all over the Bible. He's in Genesis. We've seen Him in the Psalms and the prophets. and talking about Him throughout New Testament passages. It's got to promise everywhere, presented in slightly different terms constantly to give us a different angle on it. 
to show us different aspects, to help us identify him in different ways, to be attracted to him in different ways. Here in Micah 5, God begins by describing for us his origin, where he comes from, Bethlehem, the town of David. From you, O tiny, insignificant, obscure, backwater Bethlehem, from you I will bring forth my ruler. Bring forth for me, the text says. This is going to be a different kind of ruler, not one who rules for himself that kings and people are prone to do. He's going to rule for God. We people, we constantly gather together power and influence trying to get an angle to lord it over someone. And if we get a position of authority, we abuse that. We're always looking to rule, to reign in some way that, is, that furthers our own pleasure. Our own authority, our own influence. That's what all the kings of Israel, all the kings of Judah were like. David, though, was a man after God's own heart, and so will be this new ruler. I'm bringing forth someone for me from Bethlehem. It's a quite new idea, really, though, a quite old one. It connects back to David. Roots in ancient of times. He's going to raise up a good ruler. How good of a ruler? Verse 4. And feel the language of the description here. It soars soars in verse 4. This ruler, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, coming out of little Bethlehem, meek and lowly, born in a shed, laid in a cattle trough, raised in poverty, dirt under his fingernails and calluses on his hands. Who would revere one like this? Who would even notice him? So ordinary. But rest assured, says the Lord in verse 4, take it to the bank. This one will stand as a king. It's the language there. He will stand. And the flavor there is he shall stand and stand continually. He shall rise up and shepherd the flock. To shepherd, that's not a warm and fuzzy, cuddly term. A shepherd is a, a term used of the kings of Israel. He will reign He will rise up and stand and he will reign. You might overlook him or despise him at some point, but his shepherding reign shall last forever and ever. Always he will reign in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name. What does that mean? Parallel phrases roughly. Two things that are saying something very similar. He will shepherd or rule not in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. We commonly rely on ourselves. Turn to what we can put over on someone. We gather together our forces and pool our resources, but not this one. When this ruler shepherds, when he reigns, it will be clear that he's exercising the power of the Lord. Perhaps in supernatural ways, but at the very least, it will be in ways that are free from all evil. Free from all manipulation, from all corruption, from all self-focus. We will look at him reign. We will see God. We'll see his, his rabid thirst for righteousness and justice. There will never be any error. Never any failing. Never any bent that makes us kind of wonder, is that right or not? It will be God's power towards God's ends. Another way to put it. He will shepherd the people under the authority of the lofty, 
towering name of the Lord his God. The identity of the Lord, that's what his name is. We'll look at him reign and we will see a ruler who in every way possible displays the majesty of God, shows off his splendor, his awesome holiness, his impartial opposition to sin, his humble sacrificing leadership, his insurmountable love, his marvelous mercy. What he does will be just clearly right, be perfect. When he speaks, we will be stunned by its wisdom, the words that he says. How he heals is going to be captivating and alarming even in its power and in its compassion. There's never any ruler like him. That's what he's going to be like. This one shall exercise the authority of God, in the power of God, in the towering and majestic name of the Lord. That's what he'll be like. It's going to come from Bethlehem and rule like that. And he will have complete allegiance to the Lord. He will be joined to his God. Emphasis there, his God. It's, there's an allegiance there. It's, it's so close and so focused. It's as if God is only this one's God. They are uniquely connected. And so this one is uniquely empowered. Given strength to rule. Blessed by God. Now you read those descriptors or, or those name tags. And what do, you, what do you come up with? Well, the best you can find here in Micah is that there's a ruler coming. He's going to be a shepherd. He's going to be like David. He's going to come from Bethlehem. He's going to reign in the power of God. He's going to reign forever. He's going to display God's majesty. That's what you get from Micah. And you're left still wondering, well, who is he? Who is he? doesn't say. But we look back on this from a privileged position. We've been studying the book of John together week after week. What have we seen there? Is there anybody there we can hang those name tags on? Is there? Of course. It's no wonder that there's a unique solidarity between this coming ruler and his God. It's no wonder because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Of course there's unique solidarity. This ruler is God. And of course we've seen the strength of the Lord in him. He walked on the stormy sea, didn't he? And declared, I am don't be afraid. Have we seen him shepherd the people to guide them towards righteousness, to provide them life? Yes. He fed the 5,000. He warned Nicodemus that he has to seek eternal life to be born again. He offered living water, the bread of life, and he told and he warned something worse than paralysis awaits you if you don't repent. It's no wonder that the crowds of John 7 we're saying, this has to be the guy. What else are we waiting for? I mean, look what he says. Look what he does. It has to be. Jesus is the Christ. What was the stumbling block? It can't be. He's not born, from, born in Bethlehem. But he is. He is from Bethlehem. Jesus is the Christ. He is the ruler promised long ago and delivered. The shepherd of the people. 
God made a promise to provide something that we desperately need as sheep who don't know our right hand from our left, can't defend ourselves, wander confused, prone to overeat. If we fall down, we're unable to right ourselves. We needed a shepherd. He promised and he delivered him. Rejoice. Tomorrow's Christmas and we celebrate God giving this gift. Receive it. Receive it. Embrace him by faith. If you already have, as most of us have, rejoice. It is no longer necessary for us to wander harassed and helpless. God has promised to send a shepherd. The shepherd has come. That's good news. But a question comes to my mind. So I'm moving towards the second main point. Here's the question I have. How do I come to experience that? It's no longer necessary for us to wander as harassed and helpless. How do I experience that? And I'm not exactly asking how does Jesus get born or how does the prophecy get fulfilled. And I'm not even exactly asking how does one become a Christian. Although it's worth noting this is a critical question. Are you a Christian? We're talking about a shepherd of a flock and if you're not in the flock, he's not your shepherd. Come into that flock by faith. Find what you need there. But I'm not exactly asking that question. I'm asking, how do I come to experience, now that I am a Christian already, how does it come to pass in my life that I can dwell in security, that I can know peace, that I can experience the blessing of being shepherded, if you will. Because you and I still live as, and we, we live among people who are harassed and helpless. It's not necessary that we be like that, but we are. You see, the question that I'm trying to get at, the question that I wonder about at least, let me state the answer and then show you where I get it. And this is the second main point. Christ made much of, Christ made much of, leads to, the experienced blessings of God. Christ made much of, that is, Christ magnified, Christ exalted, Christ enthroned, Christ lifted up, Christ regarded as supreme, Christ made much of, leads to the experienced blessings of God. The grammar of verse 4 is what points that out to me. Look again at the last part of that verse. And they shall dwell secure, the effect of this shepherd on his people. They shall dwell secure. There's the blessing I'm trying to get at. For, because, is what leads to that, now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. They dwell secure because he's great everywhere. That's the grammar there. Micah's looking ahead. From his perspective, he sees a time in the future when the people will dwell in security with the Messiah, with their shepherd. And as he looks ahead, it's kind of as if he's looking at a mountain range. If you look at a mountain range, you see a peak here and a peak here and a peak over there. To you, it kind of looks like this. 
and you can't tell how much space is between them until you get an overhead view. Well, he's just looking ahead at the mountain range, and he sees somewhere out there there are some things that are going to happen. Messiah is going to come. People gathered back. People dwelling in security. The Messiah reigning over all the earth. He sees that. He looks ahead. Security follows the enthroning of Christ everywhere and the elimination of all the threats. That's how he sees it. But what he can't see is he doesn't see the kingdom come now in the hearts of people and the kingdom come later everywhere all over the globe. He just sees kingdom. When kingdom reign happens, security and blessing happens. You can't see the space between those two, the two points. You understand what I'm saying there? So that's how he's looking at it. But we know that something else has happened, that Christ has come and Christ is going to come again. So we need to kind of think about this. If at the end, when he reigns physically over all the earth and there is physical security everywhere, if that's what's going to happen at the end, is there any principle in there that applies to me now here at the beginning? We're in the intervening years. Something that I can learn there from that. Yes, there is. There's a principle there. If he's physically enthroned over all the earth and physical peace and security follows, and he's spiritually enthroned now here in my heart, spiritual peace can follow. But he has to be enthroned here in my heart. Follow how my thinking's going here. The blessing follows the lifting up the magnifying, the making great of Christ. One day fully, and now partially inside here. Wherever the reign of Christ is extended to, to wherever the reign of Christ is extended, and to the degree that the reign of Christ takes hold, there is the blessed life. The life of peace and joy and contentment. One day that's going to be everywhere across the whole globe. But now, wherever he reigns, blessing follows. Let me try to illustrate that. Think about two Christians in disagreement. Something this church has known a bit of. Many churches have, this church in particular. Two Christians in disagreement about something. What keeps that disagreement, disagreement is fine, we have different perspectives on some things, what keeps the disagreement from becoming conflict? Conflict, sin. What keeps disagreement from becoming conflict? The enthronement of Christ in those two people's hearts and in their relationship and the dethroning of self. The dethroning of self's agenda, of self's pride, of self's perspective, of self's lordship. That's what has to happen. The reign of Christ, he must be made great right here in those two people and in their relationship. And if that happens, peace will follow. I'm talking about conflict here, not, not disagreement. Oneness and unity and peace doesn't mean total agreement. There's a difference. But where Christ is exalted as supreme, when Christ is most highly valued, greatest in our midst, 
Not just in word, but in the actual enactment of my desires. When what I most acutely want is to obey and to please and to honor and to enjoy Him, not my own little agendas. When that happens, peace happens. Oneness happens between two people. That's that's an external peace. But what about an internal peace? Same basic idea. Peace and rest and security on the inside comes. Not when the events and happenings and circumstances of life are enthroned, are the thing that's made much of in your eyes. If all the stuff happening out there is made much of in your eyes, then you are vulnerable. Vulnerable to getting knocked over. When all that stuff out there collapses, so will you. Maybe you experience that on a grand scale. You lose your job, and the fear sits right here, day after day after day, and you can hardly swallow. What am I going to do? Peace. You have a shepherd. Enthrone Christ. Trust Him. Make Him larger in your mind than the bills. Larger in your mind than the mortgage. Than the meanness of the person who fired you or slandered you at work so that you got fired. Christ enthroned, Christ made much of, will produce peace inside of you. Maybe somehow you manage to have peace in the big things, and it's the little things that get you. You get cut off in traffic and you get angry. Or you get frustrated when it takes all the way from March until October from the Social Security Administration and the IRS to figure out their mistake on your 2005 income tax return. Anybody other than me on that one? Enthrone Christ there. Peace will follow inside. The reign of Christ in your heart. One day it's going to be exercised over all the the earth. But right now, if it will grip you inside here, Christ lifted up and made much of on the inside of you, writ large before your eyes, permeating all of your thoughts, your highest, most lofty goal to please Him and follow Him. Moment by moment, His shepherding of you. His reigning over you. When you ask, Shepherd, where should I walk? Shepherd, is this emotion that I'm feeling right or not? Shepherd, when I just spoke, was that right? What should I say? Help me. That kind of attitude towards Him produces peace in your relationships out here and peace in here. He reigns over all things. He is great. Lifted up from one end of your being to the other and from one end of our corporate being to the other. If He is lifted up, we shall dwell in security, peace, safety. So that must be our goal. Not, here's here's not the goal. The goal is not be at peace. The goal is not be secure. The goal is not be, be blessed. The goal is not any of those outcomes. The goal is magnify Christ. Make much of Him on the inside of you. Within your own heart, within your own home, within your relationships, within your church family, 
You can't force him on other people. The universal reign of Christ will happen one day at his hand, not at ours. You tend to your own heart and cry out, Jesus, be made much of in me. Lift yourself up. Father, help. How do you do that? Two thoughts. First, get really familiar with your own sin. Get very, 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 very well acquainted with your own sin that is infinite upon infinite. Hold it up in front of you. Keep your sin ever before you, as an old saint said. Reason being, it will humble you. And it will show you just how much you are in need of a shepherd. Get really familiar with your own sin. And then, turn to the means. Remember the ordinary means of the scripture and prayer and fellowship with other Christians? You get really familiar with your own sin, not other people's, your own sin. And then you go to the Bible and you read it hunting for Jesus. Seeing just how much you need a Savior. And then you hunt Him down and find Him. And you pray, pray, pray. Father, open my eyes and let me see Christ. Lift Him up in front of me. Tomorrow's Christmas. It's the perfect time of year. It's, it's a wonderful help in this. We set aside a whole season to reflect on Christ and what he means to be for his people. We turn down the lights in our homes and we light up a tree that is standing there to remind us of the tree on which Christ died to pay for all the sin that I just spent time getting really familiar with in my own life. And I see he's a precious Savior. We give each other gifts commemorating the gift that God gave to us. The promised long ago shepherd delivered so that I would not have to wander harassed and helpless. I can know his glorious shepherding. Don't, don't neglect this battle. Don't just walk through life sometimes kind of happening into the shepherding of Jesus and happening out of it. Pursue it. Pursue him. Look for him. Hunt him down. One of the things that I found most helpful recently, a CD that I was given for my birthday called The Valley of Vision. This is a CD that has songs on it. I've mentioned this, this book about prayers called The Valley of Vision before. This is a CD that's put some of those prayers to music. It ref- helps me to reflect on Jesus and how marvelous he is. There's one song in there called Give Me Jesus. It's just about how much we need him and how beautiful he is. I encourage you to consider picking that up and reflecting on the words in those songs. But you must fight this battle. Not the battle to be peaceful and secure, but the battle to make much of Christ in your heart. If you do that, then you will experience the blessings of God. Rejoice because the shepherd has come. Make much of the shepherd to experience his shepherding. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others 
but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.